0: Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. I'm so happy that you've chosen to join us this morning. Um, how many of you saw my wife on TV this week? And Miss D, wherever she is. <laughs> yeah, pretty cool, huh? Uh, she got to go to all that inauguration stuff. Um, um, made some memories. Anyway, uh, we're in a series, and if you're new with us, we're glad that you're here. Uh, we teach on a certain topic for a few weeks, and we started beginning of the year with something we call brand new. So, this is week, what, three or four? Four, I guess. We'll finish up next week. <clears throat> if you want to catch up, and we'll do some review this morning, if you want to catch up or listen to those again, their audio is on our website. <clears throat> I'm going to start off with confession. Um, people I hate, well, that's probably the wrong way to say it. People I have a hard time not hating. Are people that uh, mistreat my kids, and I have four kids, and they're all here, of course, they're big now. <laughs> but uh, if you mistreat one of my kids, uh, you, know, no point in, in trying to make up with me. Whether it's, you know, some coach that lets their son play instead of mine, of course, my son was much better or daughter. Um, <laughs> and you've probably all been there. Um, we've been fortunate. This hasn't happened a lot. Uh, one reason we homeschooled. some of you may think, you know. Unfortunately, you know, you complain about your teachers. Of course, teachers complain. You probably don't understand them, but uh, that's the way it goes. But if you treat, mistreat one of my kids, you can't make, it, make up for it. You, you can buy me a gift. Uh, you could give me money. You could sing me songs. You could even praise my holy name. I'm just, you, yeah, we're not going to be good after that if you mistreat my kids. Now, the reverse of this is also true. Um, if you want to honor me, the best thing you can do is honor one of my kids. Not do anything for me, but honor one of my kids. Treat them well, uh, help them succeed, uh, encourage them. Uh, if you do that, we're lifetime friends, all right? <laughs> uh, the, way, the best way you can honor me is by honoring one of my kids. Now, that's my confession time. Um... Pay attention because it'll come up again later, all right? <laughs> Just give you a little warning. So, let's do a little bit of review. We're in this series about brand new. And We said the arrival of Jesus signaled the end of what we're calling the temple model. And for you new folks, we'll explain that in a minute. And the beginning of something brand new. So, Jesus wasn't making an extension of Judaism. Uh, he was a Jew, but he wasn't going to make an extension of Judaism. He's, he's starting something completely new. All aspects of Christianity are new from uh, Judaism. And we said all of our conscience are shaped by a blend of what Jesus taught and this temple model thinking. And so what we feel guilty about or don't feel guilty about uh, isn't always in line with what Jesus taught. So what do we mean by temple model? Temple model is this, and it goes back to Judaism and all ancient religions, but all modern religions, unfortunately, including... Christianity, when it, when it shouldn't. So there's sacred places. Some places more holy, sacred than some other place. Uh, for Jews, it would be Jerusalem. Uh, for Muslims, it would be Mecca. If you're Catholic, it might be uh, Rome. Uh, so certain places are more sacred than other places. So consequently, you want to connect with God, you go to the sacred place. So you have sacred texts, so there'd be these writings... Uh, uh, for, for us we would say the Bible for other people would be other writings and these are sacred texts that have certain instructions and, and teachings in them but for most of history the, we needed sacred men to tell us what the sacred texts mean uh, for most of history people couldn't read it for themselves but if you could read it for yourselves the sacred men would tell us we couldn't understand it so we need to you know we need to tell you what it means. And so we stand in that place of power telling you how you can connect with God or not, if can, how to go to heaven, or if you're going to go to hell. Tremendous power, these sacred men, as they interpret the sacred texts in the sacred places, and everybody else is the sincere followers. Now, as I said, most of history they, they had to be followers, but today I think a lot of the followers are just too lazy to figure it out for themselves because I think we have the capability of doing that. Then last week we talked about what happened in history. Church got off to this fantastic start, but in the three and the fourth century, this amazing thing happened: the Roman emperor got saved, that we would say saved, connected with God, and he made Christianity the state religion of the Holy Roman Empire. And uh, that's when the temple model started to creep back in. And um, so Christianity, when it was uh, was a minority, persecuted minority. It wasn't a problem, but when it became the, the uh, majority, then we wound up with sacred places, sacred texts, sacred men, and sincere followers. And then we fast forward on over a thousand years, 500 years ago, we had this thing called the Protestant Reformation, <clears throat> started, by Mar- started by Martin Luther, and it wasn't a, fa- a fault of his or anybody else, but again, some more of this temple model thinking crept in, as he didn't want to break off and he didn't want to start a new church but he wanted to reform the Catholic Church and of course history tells us then we got all these different denominations and all these different denominations, thousand are not based on this new commandment that God gave but on interpretations of sacred texts. So, what was brand new? Everything was brand new. Jesus said there's going to be a new covenant. There's going to be a new way to relate to God. And it's going to be a better than the old way. In fact, Jesus is going to do it all. And uh, through Jesus, you can relate, r- relate to God. There's going to be a new commandment. Now uh, you, got, you got that whole, old, you know, for them, they had the whole Old Testament, 600 and some rules. He said, okay, we're going to just boil it down. The most important thing, love, love God and love your neighbor. And so this became the new ethic. This is the way you, you judged how you uh, should act and how you should treat people. It was because, uh, filtered out of this uh, new ethic. And so it began this new movement we call The Way or the Christianity. And uh, um, we talked about the word church as a bad translation of the, of the Greek word, ekklesia. We don't like to use a lot of Greek, but that word means gathering or a group of people. So it, this was a movement based on groups of people, not sacred places and not sacred people. So. This temple thinking has crept back in in the 4th century into Christianity and again it was reinforced during the Reformation and is still alive and well today uh, in most of Christianity. The problem is it holds us back personally in our relationship with God and our spiritual growth and it holds back our church and and all of Christianity in doing what God would want us to do. And then I gave you a couple examples last week. We'll review those. This is... how you can kind of judge if you've fallen back into what we call temple thinking. So, have you ever felt guiltier about missing Mass or church than mistreating somebody at work or at home? So, I maybe missed church for a couple of weeks. I, 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 you know, I, I really got back into church. And then, you know, in my case, I yelled at my wife or yelled at my kids, and, and that doesn't bother me. Have you ever felt more guilty about that? That's temple thinking. It's not Jesus thinking. Another example was, you ever sit around wondering, How close you could get to sin without actually sinning? And I get this question. Our pastor, is this a sin? The question being, you know, how close can I get without crossing the line, without getting God mad at me, without God kind of zapping me and, you know, me losing my job or whatever, getting sick. All right. So I think this sinning stuff is fun. So I want to do is have as much fun as possible without, you know, crossing that line. Where's the line? And uh, have you ever thought of that? And I think we all have. Um, then that's temple thinking. Of course, this is in, in, in opposition to the fact of being as close to God as we can be. And then another example is this. If you believe there's a ritual or some religious activity that makes you right with God, removes your responsibility, to you make restitution to someone, you've harmed. And in our church model, you know, we had this First John Passive where you confess your sins. God is faithful and just to forgive your sins. So no matter what I've done to anybody, almost like I play that little prayer, you know, everything's good. Well, no. Jesus said, no, not everything isn't good just because you pray that prayer. Or maybe because you come to church or celebrate the Lord's Supper or get baptized, whatever it might be. So any religious activity, any activity that keeps you from loving another you is temple thinking. Not Jesus. So, ultimately, the temple model is you centered. It's about what you can do and how you can relate to God. Uh, what must I do to believe and make and keep things right between God and me? That's temple thinking. So, you know, if I go to church every other Sunday, is, is that enough? Or do I have to go every third week? Uh, once a month? You know, uh, do I have to read my Bible every day or every other day or once a week? Or do I have to read it at all? Do I have to put a certain amount of money in the offering plate? Do I have to help certain people in need? This, is, this can be endless. What must I do or believe to keep things right between God and me? So I have to believe this kind of line of theology or this line of theology. And again, that's why we got all these denominations. So it's ultimately not about God. It's about me. You can think about your prayers. Most of your, most of your prayers and my prayers are what? Uh, God, uh, uh, help me, help my family, help my business, help me economically, help my health. <laughs> You're praying to God, but most of the prayers are what? About you. And what do I need to do, God? God. To make you happy, make, give you, have you bless me, give me more money, give me good health. What do I got to do? Again, go to church how many times or go to a certain church, <laughs> give so much money, etc., etc. So, temple thinking always gravitates to rules and rituals. What must I do to make things and keep things right between God and me? So this ritual, I got to do that baptism thing. Do I have to do that? Uh, do I have to you know, do communion, Lord's Supper? Um, what, what, what rituals do I have to do? Not work on Sunday? You know, whatever it might be. What are those things that make you feel guilty, whether they're true or not, as we talked about? Or what things don't, haven't you done that make you feel guilty? Now, that's good. We start off with God, but when it it becomes temple thinking, it becomes about us. As we talked about last week, once you step across the line, become a Jesus follower, accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you and God are fine, right? You've joined His family. But, when you get into temple thinking, there's always what I call loophole thinking, all right? All right? We, got the, we, figure out, we want to figure out where the lines are, what Jesus said or didn't say, get something the Bible says, and then we're trying to figure some way to get around it, right? Again, without God zapping us. <laughs> got to figure this out, all right? Do what I want to do and still God and us be good. The problem with that is it produces hypocrites, doesn't it? <laughs> That's the result of that. I want to do what I want to do and God wants to do and try and balance those two and it makes hypocrites up. And some of you, that's the reason you don't like this whole Jesus thing. Because people that call themselves Jesus followers, you look at their lives and, and they talk about these things, but then they don't treat people as well as you do. You say, thanks, but no thanks. You know, I'm nicer to people than, than you are, and you go to church all the time. So it produces hypocrites. Now, the Jesus model, on the other hand, is centered on the you beside you. So, for example, if you tend to be a racist, there are certain groups of people in the world because of ethnicity or color of skin that you feel differently about. That's temple thinking. Politics. There's a certain political view that you feel (laughs) different about. That's temple thinking. Now, if we can get this into our minds, into our attitudes, into our thought process, Jesus model my my ethics based on the you beside me. When you start reading the New Testament, it's everywhere. And so uh, we'll go a couple of verses. We re- review a couple of verses we've looked at before. For example, Jesus said, "This is my commandment: love each other the same way I have loved you." Okay, <laughs> so it's not about me. God's already loved me. It's about me loving the you beside me, the way God's loved me. Uh, we looked at something Paul wrote in Galatians. He said, "What is important is faith expressing itself in love." In fact, most important, the most value. This is this is it. So, I have my faith. This is the vertical but i express that i let other other people can know that how not because i show up at church but because of the way i treat other people it expressed itself in love a couple of verses later said the whole law is summed up in this one command love your neighbor as yourself so let me give you a couple examples do you know why you should tell the truth Oh, pastor, that's an easy, one. that's one of the Ten Commandment things, right? Don't tell a lie. Moses got that from God. God says don't do it. That's why I shouldn't tell a lie. That's temple thinking. It's true, but it's temple thinking. Jesus would say, you tell the truth because when you lie, you hurt that person you lie to. You are degrading them. You don't trust them or honor them enough to tell them the truth. You are hurting them. You don't tell the truth because God will love you if you tell the truth. If you're a Jesus follower, God loves you, whether you tell the truth or not. But you tell the truth because the you beside you is more important than you. You love people. That's going to stretch our theology a little bit, I think. So just kind of follow the illustrations. All right. Why should we be generous? Well, I, it's in the Bible somewhere, right? We're blessed to give than receive. And you know, if my background, you know, if I, you know, if I give 10%, God's going to give me 11% back or something, or 12% back, right? You think about that. That's based on that's a you thinking, right? If I give this, I get that. So, why should I be generous? So God will like, will like me better? No, that's temple thinking. It's much more simpler than that. Maybe it's more complicated than that. Maybe you need to write this down. All right, you ready? The reason you should be generous is because it helps the person you're generous to. I don't see anybody writing. I do see one person writing. Not that complicated, is it? All right, let's do the flip side here. You probably won't like these as well as the last ones. <laughs> do you know why you shouldn't talk badly about somebody? Well, that's in the Bible there. Don't gossip and, you know, don't uh, some other things that Paul wrote and so forth. No, that's temple thinking. The reason they'll talk bad about, about somebody else is because you are elevating yourself over them. You're making yourself feel or sound more important than them. You're putting them down. You're not loving that you beside you. That's Jesus thinking. Here's one that's gonna make some people uncomfortable. <laughs> Do you know why you shouldn't pressure your girlfriend sexually? I took this from a male perspective since I'm a male. Oh, that's, I know that's in the Bible. That's in one of those 10 commandments too. Well, that's adultery, but there's, we know the Bible says you shouldn't have sex outside of marriage. No, that's not the reason. That's temple thinking. Anytime you pressure it could work either way. Pressure somebody sexually. You're creating regret in that person. And you don't want to ever be the person when that person goes to counseling or to to a therapist and they're bringing up their regrets and your name come up. You don't want to ever be the source of somebody's regret. Because love doesn't produce regrets, does it? Ah, I can get you, Pastor, but it's consensual. I guess you got me. Alright, so you had one of your children, one of your nieces, nephews, whatever, calls you up on the phone and says, Uncle Tom, my best friend and I have decided to gouge each other's eyes out, and it's consensual. Oh, I'm fine. Okay, that's fine. As long as it's consensual. So, now here's the key. The New Testament imperatives, the do's and don'ts in the Bible, are examples of how to demonstrate your love for God and loving others. I could ask these questions like, most recent one is this. All right. If pot is legalized, is it okay to smoke as a Christian? Well, I uh, can't find it in the Bible. Hmm. That's, 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 that stumps me. I, I, it's not in the Bible. See, they're, they're examples. Yeah, it would be interesting if Jesus, you know, the Bible had written about dope 2,000 years ago, you know. All right, in 2000, you know, when they legalized marijuana, you're not supposed to drink, smoke it, or you can smoke it. I don't know what you would say, all right? See, they're examples. So again... We start looking, at, it's in the Bible, is it's in, in the Bible, can I, you know, one person says it means this, one person says it, that's loophole thinking. It's about you. And we should live no regret living. So these imperatives in Scripture, in the Bible, the do's and don'ts, aren't ultimately for your benefit. You do benefit, but they're not for your benefit. Therefore, the you beside you benefit. So I've kind of come, boils down to this: the Jesus model is less complicated, yeah. And so pushback. I always talk about pushback. Oh, pastor, it just sounds like you're kind of this is like uh, Christian Woodstock. This is like Christian hippies, right? It's, why don't we all get along and just love one another, right? Now I grew up in the 60s, so I know all those songs and I experienced that. Let's just think about this for a minute. Jesus died to make this possible. See, in temple think there's always a place to hide. There's always a loophole. There's always a, a get around. Jesus didn't get around the cross. So, the Jesus model is less complicated, but it's hard. It's far more demanding, isn't it? So, let's look at a couple verses with this kind of mindset. Something Paul wrote. He said, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So I don't try to figure out, okay, is there a Bible verse that lets me get away with this or not do this or do this? Okay. And we say this sometimes. What would Jesus do? Right? What would Jesus do? Then Jesus himself said this. But you who are willing to listen. He's talking to his crowd. He said, are you you willing to listen? It's going to kind of stretch your theology. Love your enemies. Wait, wait a minute. I don't like my enemies. In fact, I hate my enemies. You're telling me to love them? Do good to those folks? And then he a little later he says this. You must be compassionate. Why? Because God has been so compassionate to you. And so we got this question we, we, we rolled out last week Any situation, any relationship, first and foremost, ask yourself this question. What does love require of me? All right? Now the interesting thing is ninety plus percent of the time you and I know the answer to that question, don't we? It's not complicated, it's not difficult. We know. See, God asked that question. and the answer was he had to send his son to earth to suffer and die. Jesus asked himself that question. And consequently, he had to suffer and die. That was what love required. And you and I, if you're Jesus Father, again if you're not, we're glad you're here that we think this stuff makes life better for you, even if you're not a Jesus follower. And everything else is ultimately details. Can you imagine if you and I ran our families this way? Especially as guys, husbands, dads, treated our kids and our spouse this way. Wives, too. Can you imagine if all of us here, this church did this? What if our community, what if Smithsburg, people in Smithsburg, did this? What about the church worldwide? The early church did. They got it right. The Bible uses this interesting phrase. It turned the world upside down. They had no Bible. <laughs> they had no buildings. They had no money. <laughs> they turned the world upside down. One more pushback and then we'll finish. Well, aren't we supposed to, you know, give God the glory? You said this and you're talking about all this verti- horizontal stuff. What about the vertical stuff? Well, fortunately for me and for you, Jesus answered this question. All right. So Jesus is teach, doing this teaching, Matthew 25. He says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, there's that word glory, and all his angels with him, they will sit upon his glorious throne. There he is again. And all the nations will gather in his presence, and he will separate the people as shepherd, sh- separates the sheep from the goats. Now, I don't know anything about separating sheep and, sheep and goats, but they did. all right. He said, we will place the sheep on the right hand the goats on, the, on his left. I do a political joke here, but I won't. But anyway, <laughs> then the king will say to those on the right, come you who are blessed by my father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. So you and I, if you're a Jesus follower, we have this great inheritance. Why? Why would we get this inheritance? Well, he, he explains it, but the people listening didn't understand it. And it is a kind, of, kind of confusing, so let's kind of go through this quickly. Jesus said, I was hungry and you fed me. I, I, I'm sorry, Jesus, I don't remember when I ever fed you. I didn't have it over my house. I was thirsty and he gave me a drink. Well, I, you know, I didn't pass out bottles of water to you because you were thirsty. I, I was a stranger, you invited me to your house. You never been to my house, Jesus. You haven't been there. I was naked and he gave me clothing. Well, I never seen you naked, Jesus. Maybe you came down to the clothing closet sometime and we gave you something. I, I don't remember it, though. Uh, I was sick and you visited me. Well, Jesus, I don't remember you ever getting sick. You cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And certainly I don't remember Jesus ever being in prison. And so, they asked Jesus what he was talking about. The righteous one replied, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink. Or a stranger, show you hospitality or naked. We ever see you sick in a prison and visited you? Well, you know, the closest I ever felt to God was one time we were in church and the praise team was playing these song, and I just, the, the words just touched me such I started, just tears came to my eyes. Or the time I felt so close to you, God, was, you know, I was in my personal Bible study, and the, and the, and the, and the words just sunk in and just, it just touched my heart. Maybe it was at some church camp and, you know, you've been there all week and it just kind of finally just kind of settled in and the, and the Spirit of God just kind of overwhelmed you. Or maybe you had the privilege to go to the Holy Land. You were standing in there's places where Jesus walked and you just felt so close to God. You know what all those things have in common? All these experiences? Who got the most out of them? You did. About you. What Jesus is saying, it's not about me. Meaning me, or it's not about you. So what's his response? What's Jesus say to these folks? The king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. So the Jesus model is centered on the you beside you. Another way of saying is your devotion to God is illustrated, demonstrated, and authenticated by your love for others. Remember, I was telling you about I really dislike it when people mistreat my kids? But also, the way you can most honor me is not by buying me gifts or giving me money or singing songs to me or praising my holy name, it's by treating my kids with honor. So it has nothing to do with me. So whatever you do for one of them, it's like you are doing it for me. living. You want to love God? You honor the you beside you. I know this is stretching your theology. It'll take you some time to process this. But that's God the kind of God we serve. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you, you, Jesus, made this completely new thing called Christianity the way. And I hate it, God. I know you do, that we've let all this temple thinking creep into our personal lives and our church life. Let us get back <laughs> to first sets of Christianity. Let's get back to being about horizontal because we're good with you through Jesus. We pray for anybody that's not a Jesus follower here this morning. If you want to take this opportunity to step across that line, just say, yes, I believe Jesus. I accept your gift. Uh, We thank you in Jesus' name.